0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, yeah, if you could uh, please keep that 1 Peter passage open in front of you, I think that's... Um... Well, I hope it'll be really helpful for you. That's the main text for today. But I have a few comments just before we pray. Um, So back in 2002, uh, the Woomera Detention Centre in South Australia held something like 1,500 refugees, Um, you might remember, awaiting processing or at some stage in processing. It was originally designed... Um, for just 400 or thereabouts, um, and it was designed even then as an overflow for, uh, for other centres um, uh, where refugees were coming to. Um, so people were there because they had fled their homelands for the most part. Um, they had left life behind. They'd left um, family behind. They uh, had left um, life itself in a way. Everything that they held pretty much, behind. Um, They'd fled from all over the world, but countries like Iran, for example, where there was a fair bit going on in that particular period of time, and they were in Woomera because our government in that day had decided that that was how to process people who arrived um, the wrong way, in other words by boats for the most part. And it wasn't pretty, you probably remember. Um, Hunger strikes and sewn together lips and um, riots and things from time to time. Um, One of the children in the centre um, at about that time was quoted in in one of our government's reports as saying this, I believe you Australians are nice people, peace seekers, you support unity. If you come to see us behind the fence, think about how you would feel. Are you aware of what happens here? Come and see our life. I wonder whether if the government of Iran created a camp like Woomera and Australians had seen pictures of it, if they would have given people a visa to come to Australia then. Of course, there was a significant public outcry at the time and um, uh, you might recall Paul Kelly, that uh, singer-songwriter, Australian legend that he is, uh, in 2002, he'd had enough uh, so he wrote a song, he took up the weapons that he knew how to wield, the guitar and and his voice and I think it captures uh, the, the foreignness, the alienness, the strange and horrible otherness of being so thoroughly dislocated from everything that's familiar to you, some of you know this feeling personally, don't you, um, in your own lives, uh, so distant from all that you know and love on the other side of the world. Um, He makes the point in his song that even the sky is different here than the sky in Iran. As you look up into the night sky, you can see different stars. You can't see the stars that you used to be able to see. Uh, So he sings from the point of view of a refugee who had left his girlfriend behind because he had to flee with his family and he faces another winter in Woomera. Anyway, here are the lyrics. I won't sing the song to you but I'll give you the lyrics, (laughs) maybe another day. The days are getting colder, they stand before me all in a line, each night gets a little bit longer and these stars that once were strange, now I call mine. Oh it's been so long since I saw her face and I just can't find my way out of this place. I took the law into my hands, You'd do the same from where I stand, but the punishment here is much worse than the crime. I guess I get a little emotional sometimes. Each night I light a candle and I get down on my knees and I pray. My home in ashes I can handle, but not to see my loved ones losing their way. If my tongue sounds lame, please don't turn away. Don't you see I'm losing it a little bit every day? If you you let yourself understand, I'll give you my heart and my hands, or else the punishment will be much worse than the crime. I know I get a little emotional sometimes. Do you blame me if I get a little emotional sometimes? Don't act so surprised if I get a little emotional sometimes. So wrote... Paul Kelly, for these people in detention and I'd like you to imagine, if you could please, that you discovered uh, that there were some Christian brothers and sisters among those refugees and I've got a question for you. What would you write to your brothers and sisters exiled and suffering? What would you write? What would your words of comfort be To brothers and sisters in such circumstances because that, friends, is the frame of mind that I think we should bring to 1 Peter chapter 1 and indeed to our entire study of 1 Peter. We're starting a series now on 1 Peter that'll go, it'll sort of carry us through pretty much the rest of winter um, now. What word would you have, would you give, would you offer to a rootless, homeless Christian people? Uh, do we have some good news in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for the exile, for the stranger, for the foreigner, for, the, for those who are losing it a little bit every day? Now, what's the connection? Um, it's simply this, if you cast your eyes down to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, here it is, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia um, who have been chosen and on it goes and friends, one of the best theories going around uh, in academic circles uh, regarding 1 Peter is that Peter's not just using a metaphor there actually, when he speaks of the recipients of these letters, uh, this letter sorry, as exiles, no, he writes this letter to Christians, Our brothers and sisters in history, who according to Roman policy, several times over in the first century, were booted out of Rome, um, often along with Jews of course, out of home, away from family and loved ones and life and property and everything else and resettled in these very provinces of uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So the history records tell us. And so the theory is that, hang on a sec, what if Peter, the Apostle that we associate with Rome was writing actually to exiles, our brothers and sisters, scattered across the Roman Empire. What would he write to them? Now, of course, it's a metaphor as well um, because we are, we as God's children are spiritually foreign in a watching and waiting and hostile, in many cases, um, world but I think this is God's letter to the refugee to those whose hearts ache for home, for those who feel that the punishment is much worse than the crime in this life. And it's God's Word to us this morning, friends. So, let's pray as we come to this, I think, enthralling letter of 1 Peter. Let's pray. Our Father God in Heaven, uh, in our um, comfort and our security and stability, we confess that we are guilty of so domesticating Your Word. We forget, Father, we forget that we handle a word of hope for the hopeless. We neglect this word of truth, that is truth for people who are sick of lies and half-truths and spin. We presume upon an all-too-familiar message of good news and so it becomes not so much good as just nice to our ears. Father, would you awaken us please this morning, not only to a renewed sense of the the plight of much of our fellow humankind, but to the immense power of our God to reach and to save in and through the most dire of human suffering and circumstances. God, may we see Christ more fully this morning please, the one who was exiled and abandoned to the cross to suffering and death and yet the one raised to life for us and forevermore and for everyone. So help us, for Jesus' sake please. Amen. What would you write to a Christian um, languishing in a cold and hard and heartless exile? Well, Peter... Um, opens his letter with three things, uh, three words, that's how we're going to sum it up today. He urges, he encourages, he comforts, he reminds, he consoles these Christians with a Gospel word regarding three things, their Father, their future and their faith. That's what we're going to cover this morning, their Father, their future and their faith. So let's uh, take them in that order, we'll begin with the, the Father and I'm willing to bet actually, um, if I were a betting man, which I'm really not particularly, anyway, um, Familiar as this idea of fatherhood, you know, that God is our Father, familiar as that idea is to us, I'd be willing to bet that Peter has probably put a slightly different emphasis on it in these opening verses, to address the particular needs of his recipient, to shine a particular angle on God's fatherhood before them. Um, Could we just read the first few verses and answer me this, what should it mean to you? Just in in your own mind, what should it mean to you? What should it mean to me? How does it help the refugee, the resettled, far-from-home exile, to know that God is my Father? Let's have a look at the verses together. So, Peter opens this letter, Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered, throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And in fact, in that paragraph alone, you can see, can't you, our three points for today, a fatherhood, future and faith. But so, how is the fatherhood, let's just focus there, the fatherhood of God, in what way is that so surprising or different or um, weird or unusual, what's the different, slightly different angle other than expected that's shown for us there? I think it's in verse 3 and uh, a, a lady, a, a New Testament academic expert, um, Karen Jobes helped me to see it actually and the answer's there in verse 3 because she says, if you have a look at verse 3, there are two terms in there that absolutely belong together and in any other sphere of life, we put these two terms together but for whatever reason, as Christians, when you find them in the Bible, we never quite solve the puzzle, we never quite put them together in quite the same way because we're used to understanding these two terms in a different sense. It's so obvious when you think about it, the two terms are, in verse 3, Father, it's there in verse uh, 3, the very beginning, praise be to the God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ and the second term is, new birth. Also in verse 3, a little further on, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Father has given us new birth. In any other sphere of life, those two terms go together, like a, a baby with a dad, a father giving us new birth, do you see? Uh, Karen Jobes, uh, she says it like this, uh, she says, God is not the Father, in verse 3, by the virtue of His role as Creator, but rather because of His distinctive role in the new birth of those He has chosen to be set apart from the new, uh, for the new covenant in Christ. So, when you think about the fatherhood of God, a very familiar term to us, um, how do we normally think of it? Do we normally think of God as Father because, well, He's a, he's a fatherly God, He carries fatherly characteristics, you know, ideal, idealised but, you know, He's loving, He's generous, He gives so generously to His children and He's patient and He's strong and powerful and He fights for um, His children. All of those things are true and perhaps some of those are present in these um, verses or maybe we think of God as Father uh, and we we think in terms of Him, as Karen Job said, fathering the, the whole universe into existence, the Creator kind of thing or maybe we think of God as Father in terms of the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and that certainly is true uh, and present in verse 3 as well as the preceding verses. Now, so let me ask you then, why does it matter that verse 3 holds together this fatherhood and new birth? Why might that be significant to someone who finds himself in exile, alienated, finding life in the world as hard and difficult and finding themselves as a stranger in this cold and hard universe. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has brought us to life in His family, do you see? You may be dislocated from your family, you may have no inheritance to speak of anymore, you've left all of your property behind, you've come here with nothing, you've got nothing, you fear everything but God has chosen you to be his child and God has given you much more besides. So Karen Jobes, uh, she puts it like this and uh, perhaps for those of you who were born outside of Australia and immigrated as adults, maybe you can understand this far better than even I can. Uh, She says, um, it's difficult to imagine a more sweeping concept than a new birth. Just as people receive in their birth, ordinary human birth just as people receive their ethnic identity their citizenship their socioeconomic class you know where you where you fit in the in the pecking order of society and their innate potentialities from their biological parents christians have a new identity and a new citizenship That redefines their relationship with society and transforms their identity and character. New birth to a new father. I think that's a slightly different twist on those very familiar terms to us, isn't it? But You think about it negatively for a moment, you hear the phrases, maybe they spill out of your mouth at times, you are just like your mother. And the subtext is, isn't it, and you're never going to change. Oh, he's got his father's anger, doesn't he? Or uh, from a distance, you, you can see how uh, that child is haunted every day of his or her life and, and uh, you know, gr- grew up without a dad uh, in a women's shelter or in a dysfunctional home. Uh, she was the only Asian kid um, in, uh, in an all-Anglo school. Or he was only he was the only black kid in in a a law class full of well-heeled white girls. God says to you, I chose you. You're my elect. I chose you to give you new birth. You exiles, homeless, futureless, hopeless. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, which leads us to our second and uh, more brief uh, point now. They have a father and what does that father do? He guarantees, he promised and more than that, he actually guards, keeps all that they will become and enjoy and step into Um, Would that be a helpful thing to know and cling to when the very world seems to be against you, when it feels dark and strange? Let's keep reading from, uh, we'll go from verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time and even though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think it's easy to read um, those verses and, uh, because it's so upbeat, it's so full of colour and vibrancy. It's easy to lose the sense of the darkness, that it sounds, reading between the lines, the, uh, uh, what is it, the um, suffering, grief in all kinds of trials. It's easy to to kind of glaze over and kind of not notice that those trials are the context that Peter's speaking into. I don't know if you can relate to this, but from time to time, it does feel in the Christian life, I think, or uh, just in our human life in the world. That our lives dangle by a very slender thread, indeed. We're not hanging on by much. I'm acutely aware of, uh, at times especially, that my physical life, and maybe you're aware of this, your physical life, one small slip, one little lapse of judgment, yeah, a moment of distraction, inattention at the wheel and um, for many of us, plus we're responsible for, I don't know, two, three, four, five extra lives in the car, each of which seems to dangle by a slender little thread and sooner or later, it just feels like the scissors of life are going to catch us. You get the impression actually that it's not just a um, uh, that the frailty of human life that's on view, but as this fledgling little community of faith, now scattered across the uh, what is now modern Turkey, uh, suffers under the Roman Empire, or at least under the um, weight of its citizens' animosity toward them, I think this has got to be part of it. Do you ever get to wonder, darker still, if the world's all there is? You know, and these little Sunday by Sunday get togethers Uh, That we have, we call church, maybe they're all for naught. Can you imagine feeling like that at the edge of the Roman Empire? Are we actually making life fruitlessly harder for ourselves in a culture that cares nothing for our God or its followers or His followers? The Christian life is so costly and it's so hard, it's the butt of a thousand jokes and laughs and scorn by a watching world that's got to be doubtless, at least part of the landscape for these brothers and sisters of ours, doesn't it? Who had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Their context wasn't so different to ours. Listen to this, in Greek thought, the despair of this life, so this is in Greek thought, non-Christian or pagan Greek thought, in Greek thought the despair of this life is followed only by the unending night of death. Uh, Catulus, a, a Roman poet, writes that though the sun can set and rise again, once our brief light sets, there is but an unending night to be slept through. The existential despair in this life and the bleak view of the afterlife in Greek thought killed any hope one might seek. Therefore, hope among pagans was dead. Not unlike, writes this author, not unlike the existentialist and materialistic philosophy apparent today. And, Christian, I want to say to you if if any of that resonates with you, you not only have a father, you have a future. Do you see that in this text? You not only have a father, you have a future. New birth, verse 3, as we read, into a living hope. An inheritance, uh, an inheritance, what is that? It's it's the very riches of God Himself, a God who loves you and chose you, foreknew you and chose you anyway. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, verse 4, that's guarded, that's kept. How do I know that my future is, is firm and sure when I have to cling to it with my frail little hands? No, no, you don't. It is kept, it is guarded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So your life, I don't know what it's like, it might be in ruins. It might feel like it's in ruins. Your head might feel like it's in ruins. But do you realise, even fire cannot ruin you? your future in the hands of God? Do you know that? Can you cling to that? How can I be sure? It's because you love Jesus, even though you haven't seen Him. That's enough, He's enough. Which leads to our final point, faith. You an exile in a lonely and hard and cold world were chosen by God for a future that cannot escape you. It cannot uh, evade you, O children of faith and Peter wants these children of God to know that their faith places them, get this, on the right side of history. You know the phrase, don't you? Sort of one of the more like potent political phrases in our day, isn't it? Whether you're on the right side of history or the wrong side of history... Uh, and you know how it's, it's deployed, uh, it's one of those phrases, if you stand for say traditions or values or principles that are in the mind of the present cultural elite fading or even worse impeding progress, then you stand on the wrong side of history. And it's employed in, in lots of ways that, uh, where it's perfectly fair and right and um, accurate. You know, those uh, like for slave owners, uh, those who denied women the vote uh, and the list goes on. But Peter says, hang on a sec, quite apart from those issues, you might be scared and homeless, you might be in a frightful minority, you might be scattered, you might be hurting, but do you realise this? You have a faith if your faith is in Christ That puts you on the right side of history, not because you're on the right side of history but because He, the one whom your faith is in, is on the right side of history. Now, how do I know that? It's because history has already shown its hand. Have a look with me at uh, 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 8, though you have not seen Jesus, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then He casts His mind back, do you see, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to I think that angels thing it's just saying it's it's a Jewish way of talking about the Old Testament prophecies those came by prophets and angels anticipating Jesus but they could never seem to quite figure him out you even you today have seen the Christ maybe not in the flesh but have seen his suffering and have begun to see the glories that would follow do you see history has shown its hand And man, the angels and the prophets, they long to see what we now see. Do you know what history is headed for? The glories that would follow. The things preached to you. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. And you find a Father who chose you, for a future that you cannot lose through a faith that will stand firm forever. So, have you? Have you put your faith in Him? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we come before you as children that you have fathered, uh, with histories and families and experiences and circumstances and baggage. But we know that no family has a future like yours. No family has a father like you. God, we praise you as the God who shines the hope of an eternal light into a world that foolishly fears it has but a moment to shine and after that, an unending night. Lord, we hold a hope that our world needs. We know a Father that our world has never met or has turned its back on. We have a future that we desire to share. May we have the eyes, please, to see the spiritual reality of the things around us, even when times are good. But especially when they are bad. And specifically, Father, we do pray for our Christian brothers and sisters right now in refugee camps, in detention centres, even in political prisons the world over. God, would you grant them to call to mind this very morning, this beautiful message for your exiled children, this note from their father, To those of faith concerning their sure future, be their light on this dark day, please. In Jesus' name, Amen.